0: Uh, for the last several uh, Sundays, last couple of Sundays, uh, Rocky Anthony has been uh, with us uh, working through uh, a series, and so this is the final installment of that series. So, Rocky, thank you for being with us. We look forward to hearing God's Word brought from you today. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. And let me just say, um, being with you has been a rich experience, good for my soul this morning is another example of that, Uh, the music, uh, the liturgy. Frank, where are you? Your words were stirring. And so uh, let's just close in prayer. No, we're not going to do that. I want to begin with an encounter uh, that I had recently that helped awaken me to this idea of, uh, of the power of a gift. I was engaged in one of uh, uh, those uh, good husband outings trying to earn a few extra points. If, If you're a husband, you know those are important. And so I took my wife's minivan to AutoZone to get her a new battery. And the guy helping me was a fella named Kyle. In the process of helping me install the battery, uh, Kyle began to tell me about the fact that his girlfriend's birthday was 12 days away from Christmas. And he had gotten this idea of giving her a gift every day for 12 days, 12 days of Christmas. And all these gifts would lead up to One big gift on Christmas Day, which would be an engagement ring. Everybody awes. (laughs) Especially the ladies in the room. And I'm here to tell you that this guy, Kyle, was so excited about his gift plan, he couldn't contain himself. And so as he's putting in my battery, he went into great detail about every single gift that he had and was planning to give his girlfriend. I think it took him three hours to put in my battery. (laughs) But it was priceless. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't contain his joy. Couldn't keep it bottled up. It's true, isn't it? When you're in love and you're preparing to give a gift, it's hard to contain your joy. When you're in love, giving gifts is joy-producing. So let's not miss this, and this is what we're going to be reminded of this morning. There is no being in the universe who is more excited about gift-giving than God the Father. Why? Why? Because there is no being who loves you more. And you are no more loved by him or will ever be more loved by him than you are sitting where you are right now this morning. Just let that soak in. Do you believe that? On a human level, oftentimes when we give gifts, and this happens a lot, we talked about this a few weeks ago, we give gifts. Is it the right color, right size, right gifts? Should I keep the receipt, remember? God never experiences that emotion when he gave us Jesus because, because Jesus was the greatest gift ever given, the perfect gift. The right gift. The gift that will satisfy every need of every human condition for all time. Jesus was just what you needed. Why did God choose you? I'm going to give you the answer right up front so he could unleash his love to you as the recipient of his unmerited grace and favor. That doesn't mean that you can go to sleep for the rest of the sermon. But I want you to hear that right up front. Why did God choose you? So that he could unleash his love and favor upon you Through no merit of your own. And we're going to look together this morning at why that's so true. Why the gift of Jesus was so necessary and why it's so beautiful. What are the implications of this for an ordinary flawed person like me and like you? Before we look at our text, and you've noticed it's only one verse, we'll look at others. Let's pray and ask God to open our minds and our hearts to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, it's been a a rich and beautiful service for us. We've been reminded of the gift of your incarnation in Jesus. We've offered prayers to you. We've confessed our sins to you. We now sit under your word, your authoritative true word. Allow us to rest under it to submit our wills to it. Open our minds and our hearts to this, um, your truth, your means of grace for our lives. Please speak to us and awaken us to your love. This is our prayer. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. It's a reading from God's word. John 1, one verse. Uh, verse 14 hear the word of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God In our time this morning, we're going to look at three essential truths that help us celebrate this this morning and really do answer for us, why did God choose me? What does this gift that God gave us in Jesus help us to understand and uh, embrace, own, carry with us every day this beautiful truth, the gift of Jesus? Why is the gift of Jesus so complete, so Utterly beautiful. And here's the first essential truth John gives us in this one verse that God showed up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In John, in his gospel, begins with a powerful, compelling description, both of the person and work of Christ. If you were to have your Bible open, some of you do, some of you don't, but this is how John begins his gospel. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is Jesus. Let me tell you why these descriptive words about Jesus matter. Because this gift of God, Jesus, was born, he was born in the flesh was preexistent, God says. In the beginning, Jesus was. Not only that, but in terms of the Trinity, we know that Jesus was the agent of creation, John says. All things were made through him. And finally, he was the life and the light. And the darkness could not and will not ever win out over him. John says all this. This is Jesus. And as glorious as all this is to know about Jesus, it's still not the most beautiful thing about him. You see, the amazing thing about Jesus, what is so wonderful is that he showed up here. The pre existent agent of creation, who is in his essence light and life, came to us. God with skin. The word became flesh. This is how one author describes this very human moment. Mary gave birth just as many women here gave I won't ask for hand raised. Gave birth. Her water broke. She began to have contractions. She felt overwhelmed by the process going on inside her body. Her back hurt. There was pain and effort and sweat and pushing and A lot of uh, feelings of being uncomfortable. Finally, amazingly, this new little creature came forth from her body. A new creature covered with mucus, ambiotic fluid, hair, if any, plastered to his head. A head possibly misshapen by hours of pushing. His skin blushed in color until the first breath and first cry Mary gave birth and the baby Jesus came into this world just as you and I through his mother's strong efforts, bloody, slippery, and yet beautiful. The point of all this? Jesus was a baby, a real human baby who soiled himself, spit up, made messes, cried when he was hungry. You know the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, that little line? The little Lord Jesus no crying he makes. Okay, that's exactly wrong. <laughs> crying is normal. Jesus, who spoke, And again and again said, let there be light, let there be land, let there be birds, let there be, and it was. This same Jesus who lost none of his divine essence or character had now humbled himself to where he is now completely dependent upon his parents to do everything for him. He could do nothing for himself. He couldn't communicate himself for himself. All he could do was cry. It took months to learn to crawl and more months to learn to walk and to speak. Jesus would fall and the skin of his little body would tear and bruise and bleed. The word became flesh. Not just to display as a display of humility, but as an essential act in order to become man, the redeemer and creator to rescue those loved by God, you and you and me. Because this broken world filled with broken people with sin they could not work off on their own needed to be rescued. Tim Keller puts it this way Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. And he did. In Jesus. Which leads to the next beautiful phrase. John said Not only did Jesus take on flesh, he dwelt among us. He showed up in the flesh here in our dusty, broken world. I I love this story of a grandfather who's visiting his grandson one Christmas. He walks into the family room, and his toddler grandson is standing up in the playpen, crying, crocodile tears coming down, his red face streaming. Little Jeffy saw his grandfather, his face lit up, his arms go up in the air. A grandpa, papa, up, he says. I mean, what's a grandpa to do, right? How could he resist a cry like that? So grandpa goes over to the playpen and begins to lift his little bundle of wonder out of captivity. Well, just then, however, the voice of law and order comes out of the kitchen with a dish towel uh, in hand and says, Jeffy, you know you're being punished. And then a stern look at grandpa. Do not lift him out of the playpen and goes back into the kitchen. Well, he didn't know, Grandpa didn't know what to do, didn't want to get his daughter mad, law and order. But then he sees his grandson with the lip quivering and the crocodile tears coming down his face and the arms raised. Papa! And then he had an idea. He crawls into the playpen with his grandson, <laughs> wraps his arms around him and just camps out. I love that story. And I think that's a pretty good picture of what Jesus what Jesus did for us. He climbs in and he wraps his arms around us and he just camps out. Hmm. You the message paraphrase that I don't altogether like until I get to quote it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Mm. The ESV says, Jesus dwelt among us, and you may know it literally means he made to make one's tent. And of course, that comes from this idea of the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a a portable tent before they were able to uh, create the the temple. Uh, It was a portable synagogue before they were able to make the temple. And what makes it so beautiful is this. Is that even though we've rebelled against God, even though we've gone our own way, even though we've done our own thing, Even though we've sinned against him, God says, I'm going to still pursue you. I'm going to still come to you. And I'm going to do that in the person of Jesus. Jesus came into our neighborhood to live among us, to call us into relationship with himself. Jesus, who came not to bring condemnation, but to save us, invites us to come to him are you listening, with all of our neediness and with all of our brokenness, trusting that we'll find rest in him. That's the first thing we celebrate that helps us understand why the gift of Jesus is so beautiful. Why did God choose us? Because he wants to give us this gift. That God showed up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to move into our neighborhood. The second essential truth in the gift of Jesus, that God revealed his glory. You see that? We have seen his glory as of the only son of the father. We often focus um, on the glory that surrounds the birth of Jesus. We've even sung about it this morning. The angelic pronouncement, the great company of uh, heavenly hosts that appeared to the shepherds singing, you know, glory to God in the highest. But here in his prologue, John is not speaking about the glory that surrounds Jesus. He's pointing to the glory that is resident in the person of Jesus, you see. And this is a remarkable statement to make about someone who's literally walking flesh and body on earth. And so John says, when you look at Jesus, you see the glory of God. And when we think about this, my mind goes back to Exodus 13, where Moses, in a moment of sheer boldness and naivete, says to God, God, let me see your glory. And God, because he's merciful and wise, says, Moses, you don't know what you're asking for. I, I, I will let you see my glory, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by, and, and I will let you see my back. As, is, as is close as you dare get to me. And Moses, seeing the back of God as close as he could get, we're told that Moses' face would, would shine like the sun, just seeing the back of God. The glory of God was too awesome, too dangerous for people even to get close to. But then Jesus came to us and revealed the glory of God, and we saw it. God's glory was made accessible to common people. I've always loved this story about a little boy drawing a picture one day. His mom comes up to him Sweetheart, what are you drawing? I'm drawing a picture of God. And she smiles and she says, well, honey, no one knows what God looks like. And the little boy says, well, they will when I get done. He says. <laughs> how do you know? How do we know what God looks like? It's been a great question since the beginning of time. What's his character? What's his heart? The problem is nobody really knew the answer to that. And then Jesus comes to us and he says, they will when I get done. Hmm. Here's why that's so important. It means that you can be absolutely confident of God's love and what's in his heart. It means that you don't have to be afraid of God. If I'm wondering, what does God think of his children? I look at Jesus who says, Let them come to me. Don't keep them away. If I think, what does God really think of sinners like me? I look to Jesus who says, You know, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save. I'm the one who leaves the 99 and goes rescue the one. And when I find the one, there's cause for celebration and joy. I'm the God who throws parties when I find the lost one. I don't have to wonder, will God forgive me when I sin? I don't have to hide from God when I feel inadequate. I can run into his arms any time, night or day, no more being afraid of God. Why is the gift of Jesus so beautiful? Well, in Jesus, God shows up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Jesus, God revealed his glory. We have seen his glory as of the one and only Son from the Father. And then finally, in Jesus, God revealed his intentions toward us. God revealed his intentions toward us. This is beautiful. This phrase, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. John repeats the this same, this same uh, words later in verse 17. The law was through, uh, was through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's repeated twice. The point is this. The essence of what God reveals about himself in Jesus is first full of grace. You all like that word grace. You named your church after that. Grace, Community, Church. So let me ask you is that a truth that you find yourself right now being formed in? It's important to understand, see, grace is not just the forgiveness of sins. Church folks sometimes get a little confused about this. Grace is, is the promise of forgiveness, but it's not just that. Grace is also the flow of God's presence and power and restoration in your life from one ordinary moment to the other, to the other, to the other throughout your day. Jesus came to offer the lavish outpouring of grace at the moment you came to Christ. But Jesus also came to offer you the lavish outpouring of grace throughout the broken, flawed Experiences of your life as you go along throughout your day is to understand that broken, wounded, flawed people need, are you listening? Need the experience of God's grace throughout their day like they need air throughout their day. This is the essence of God's reality because, as John Piper notes, nothing reveals the fullness of his deity more than the freedom of his grace. He, God, is full, happy, and sufficient in himself. So he does not need us to meet his need but is surging with infinite energy and fullness to meet ours. That's his grace. And the capstone of his glory, we saw his glory. And what was it that he was full of grace? What it means is that Jesus understands our struggles. And I love, you're the liturgist crafter? Justin, liturgist crafter? I love it that Justin didn't know what I was going to have in my sermon notes. But that in the prayer of confession, we have this wonderful text from Hebrews chapter 4. that bids us to come to Jesus, the one who can do what? Sympathize with our weaknesses, one who understands, one who was uniquely able to identify with our experience in this world. We've all had this. We're going through a difficult situation, something very hard, and a well-meaning friend comes up and taps us on the shoulder, puts their arms around us, and says those words, I understand what you're going through. But honestly, they don't really understand because they've not gone through what we've gone through. And so their words feel very shallow, But I'll tell you one who does understand. And when you come to Jesus and you are in need of grace and you are in need of mercy and you are in need of help, he does know. He knows your heart longing. He knows the desperation that you feel. He alone knows the cry of your soul. And so what are we invited to do? It was in our a corporate prayer of confession. Let me reoffer this to you, Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of it's a liturgical moment, grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Grace and grace. We come to the one who can sympathize. With our every experience, our every need. And when we come to Him, the throne of grace, we receive from Him grace. Jesus invites us to experience His grace, not a thimble full of grace, but an ocean full of grace. Ever been betrayed? He was. Ever been wrongly accused? He was. ever had people gossip about you? Ever suffered physical pain? ever been in a place where you had a, an unmet physical need? ever been lonely? Ever suffered loss? Have you ever been afraid ever reached the bottom and you wondered if, if there's any way up, ever been abandoned? Jesus understands. Whatever you're facing, whatever need you have this morning, his grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. Why? Because he's full of grace. God became human and came into our neighborhood to see Jesus is to see God. You know what God is like? He's full of grace, overflowing with grace. There is no God like our God. But not only that, this as well. He's also full of truth. God is truth. Quite literally, God defines reality. In the words of my old prof, R.C. Sproul, truth is that which conforms to reality. It is perceived as it is perceived by God. God. He knows all things exhaustively so we can trust everything he reveals to us in Scripture. Get this. Truth is not defined by our own subjective standards. It is determined by the source of truth himself. And this is what we see in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. John, who knew Jesus, says that truth was so essential to who Jesus was, so deeply woven into his identity, that it was not just that Jesus spoke truth, which is to say that he kept from lying but that he was truth, that he was truth incarnate. Jesus came to reveal to us truth about heaven, truth about how we could be forgiven of our sins, truth about the kingdom of God, truth about our destiny as God's loved children. And I think of where we are today with a lot of news, a new part of our vocabulary about fake news and a lot of noise these days about truth and what's not true. Here's the good news for us this morning. Jesus listen, Jesus came to tell us what's true. The truth about the triune God who loves us, our final and ultimate transformation around the truth of the gospel that offers peace and forgiveness and life and hope and and love and joy and a new beginning for those who trust in the long-awaited one who came in the flesh, who lived among us to reveal the glory of God to us and who was filled, overflowing with grace and with truth. I close with this. In her book, The Whisper Test, uh, an author named Marianne Berg writes this. She says, I grew up knowing that I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When classmates asked, what happened to your lip? i tell them I had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, The teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I went there for words that God must have put in her mouth, those seven words that changed my life forever. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. She said, those words forever shaped me. It reminded me, I really was special and treasured just the way I was. I ask you this morning, do you hear the whisper of Jesus this Christmas? The gift of God? who came to reveal his love? Why did God choose you? It's not because of what you had to offer to him. It's because of what he had to offer to you. Because Jesus is the greatest gift this crazed, broken world will ever know. And my prayer is that you will celebrate the beauty contained in this glory-filled gift. And that you'll be able to celebrate in a new way, surrendering all that you have, all your hopes, all your dreams, all your longings to him. You might be here this morning. And you might be in a place where you are saying, Yeah, I I've heard this story before, and I've never I've never really reached out myself and received this gift. And something in my in my in my heart says, you know, I, I want to say yes. I want to respond and and make 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 a commitment myself. I want to talk to somebody about this. And I would just urge you after the service today, whether it's Justin, one of the elders, to engage that conversation. It it, it might be for you the most significant conversation you've ever had. For others of us it's is to, is to respond by just making room for this good news, this celebration of grace, a daily experience of God's grace, the one who is full of grace and wants you to be full of grace and full of his truth that casts out All the darkness, where the light and love of Jesus fills every space in your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the treasured gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Awaken us to the grace and truth of the gospel hope that He came to offer. We bless you, Lord Jesus. For casting out the darkness, bringing your light and love into the world. Even more for uh, doing that, not just in the world, but in our own dark, weary hearts. We acknowledge that there is no greater gift than you. There is no one who knows us. Or knows what we need. Or who can provide for these needs like you. We glory in your name, and we put our hope in you this morning. Blessed Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. We pray in your beautiful name. Amen.